This episode is brought to you by Dad Designer. The Alt MBA was the catalyst for a successful delivery on a project I was putting off to self-publish a children's book by the fall of that year. I initially thought holding that final book in my hands was the goal, but I realized the book serves as a symbol for the personal discovery journey the process took me on. Have you ever noticed the uniqueness of Animal Eyes? That was the premise for the children's book I shipped, in part because of the Alt MBA. If you'd like a copy for yourself to remember what you learned to see during this amazing workshop, visit dadsigner.com slash eyes. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. No, no, not really. It's actually brought to you by The Long and the Short of It, a podcast for the curious by the wonderful Jen Wellman and myself, Peter Shepard. Each week we unpack a theme from every single angle that we can think of. The long, I'm six foot seven. The short, Jen's five foot one. The macro, the micro, the art, the science, the American, the Australian, and everything in between. You can check it out at thelongandtheshortpodcast.com or just search for The Long and the Short of It wherever you get your podcasts. This is People Like Us, a show about Alt-MBA alumni. We're back with the second part of my conversation with Brent Lamphere from Alt-MBA 5. If you haven't heard the first part, it might make sense to go back and listen to that one first. We pick up the second part of this conversation after Brent's startup, Affleon, was acquired by Blenheim Chocolate. Brent's company had gone from an idea he had in college to a company with tens of thousands of users. What did the travel aspect of this post-acquisition work look like? So my, my original deal with them was two weeks there and four to six weeks at home, and then two weeks there, four to six weeks at home. Um, that, of course, ended up being not sustainable and not in that I couldn't travel that much. It was that they needed me there more. Um, so there would off, often be times where I would be there, you know, six to eight weeks at a time, um, or I would, you know, kind of last minute get flown over for some important meeting or for some presentation or something that, that they needed, um, where I would only go for, for a couple of days, of course, tried to limit those because of the jet lag. Uh, but luckily anytime that we, um, anytime that I needed to be there longer, my wife's company has a, um, office in London, uh, and they were really generous about letting her work from the London office. So, you know, the two week stints, you know, she'd be back home in San Francisco and I'd be in London. But then occasionally if I was there for two weeks and they were, you know, pushing on, can you stay for another two weeks or another two weeks after that, you know, part of that deal would then be, you know, they'd fly her over as well. So that ended up being a really big benefit for us is we got to spend a lot of time, you know, in London together and do Paris and other other parts of Europe on on the weekends and uh, and made some great friends in London because of that, as we we felt at home there, despite mostly living out of, you know, either hotels or, or service departments um, and going back and forth a lot. So London kind of became our second home um, and absolutely loved the city. It seems like a happy ending. What changed? We bought a house and had a, a lovely baby girl. Um, and, uh, the you know, first time I had to travel and leave her at home, you know, it was really hard. Um, and then had to do it again and again. I eventually consolidated them down to where the trips were only a week instead of two. At the same time, my role in London was getting greater. And they were uh, the initial plans for U.S. expansion and making a lot of um, investments and acquisitions in the U.S. Uh, had kind of petered out a little bit as they were focusing on some of their U.K. and, um, and European business. Uh, and the kind of came to a transition point of, OK, well, you know, Brent, if you're going to do this, we need you in London and we'll move your family over, of course. So travel had moved from, you know, being something that connected you and your wife to being something that kept you apart. 
did you and your wife ever talk about it? Like, how did she feel about, uh, about the increase in travel that your company was asking you to do? Originally, we loved it. We both loved to travel early in our relationship. Um, we uh, backpacked around Spain and Italy together before she studied abroad in Paris. We traveled around Thailand on our honeymoon. We've we've been to a, a whole 15 to 20 some odd countries together um, and absolutely love traveling. And so having that kind of opportunity at the beginning was really great. Um, and both her and I, and especially her, always assumed we'd live abroad for a while and wanted to try living to different places. That's part of the reason we moved to San Francisco from Seattle without, you know, much hesitation because we wanted to to try new things. Um, and so it was was great at first. And then, you know, once we kind of decided that it was time to, to start a family, um, our priorities changed, but our wanderlust didn't. So, you know, she struggled uh, originally in that her, you know, our we were not traveling much, hardly at all, obviously, with a, a young child. Um, and we didn't have any family nearby since we both moved away. So I was traveling, you know, I was I still got to travel. London was still there. I still had that where my wife was, you know, at home and trying to to navigate what it means to to both be a mom and still be herself. And then that was something that we struggled with together as well, you know, going from pretty young with lots of opportunities in front of us to suddenly um, both needing and wanting to spend most of our time at home caring for this baby girl who needs us so much. During this time, Blenheim Chocolate, the firm that acquired Brent's company, had acquired a number of other companies. One of those companies was hosting a conference with a very special keynote speaker. So around that time, Blenheim Chalkut uh, acquired a group out of New York that a big part of their business was was putting on events. And they happened to have a keynote speaker scheduled for the next one, who was a gentleman named Seth Godin. And he had this program called the Alt-MBA that he'd only run a couple of sessions of, but he claimed there was like a 95% graduation rate. And for any of us who've done anything in online education, that's just shocking because usually it's a tenth of that, if even. And it was kind of like, okay, well, what are they doing? What's really going on here? Uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, I kind of raised my hand. I was like, well, if we need someone to take it, you know, maybe I could take it. My dad always wanted to go to his his workshops in New York, but living in California and just timing it, it, it never worked out for me. Um, so I, I kind of thought it would be like that. I thought this would be one of his, you know, a virtual version of one of his in-person events. And obviously it was completely different than I thought it was going to be. And it ended up not exactly being what I wanted, but turns out it, it was exactly what I needed. And what did that end up being for you? So I, I kind of went into the Alt-MBA expecting... I don't know, skills or tactics or, you know, some sort of framework or process by which I was going to either figure out what was next for this company or how I was going to build my next company or, you know, something like that. And what Alt-MBA ended up being was a bunch of work in me as a person and as a human. And it also, Seth always says, you know, once you see, you can't unsee. And I think it was a lot of that. And that was brought out by people in my learning groups, people in the cohort, People who, you know, were were seeing me, not just what I was saying, where I could be big and smiling and acting like I was doing really well. Uh, and instead kind of helped me see kind of around the corner and hold up the mirror and say, OK, you know, what do you really want? What's really the challenge here? And uh, it helped unlock for me that, that London had become a place that I was hiding, that I could sit behind the story of being a quote unquote successful entrepreneur because I'd sold my company, but I actually hadn't been an entrepreneur for years. Right. And I actually was not doing the work that 
I'm either most cared about or the change I thought that I could make either the biggest impact for me or for others and for anyone that I specifically sought to serve, but was just kind of hiding in doing something I was good at, um, but hadn't particularly grown or, or challenged myself um, in the ways that I did, you know, early on in part inspired by Seth then. And it kind of got re-inspired by, you know, Seth's work in the prompts, but then particularly in the fellow cohort mates and, and classmates in, in Alton Bay five who, you know, kind of gave me the, a bit of the kick in the butt that I needed. And then it also helped me to be able to have better, I think, conversations with my wife about what we really wanted and how we wanted to show up and what was important to us and, you know, all of that. Uh, and that helped me see that it was it was time to, you know, say goodbye to Athlion and and everything that came after in London and say thank you and, and move on to, to what was next. And what is next for you? What I have found out is that what really lights me up right now is meeting people in that space, in the same space that that I've been in, um, where they're a bit bored or a bit burnt out or a bit unfulfilled, um, and helping them figure out what's next for them. So the program that I'm starting is called Next Act. Uh, it lives at decidewhatsnext.com. And its goal then is to get some clarity into what you really want and then figure out the plan of action to make it happen. I've got a, a framework that's been developed and I've been testing of a, a series of kind of coaching questions and worksheets and templates that help you get from kind of that point of like, so what's next for me? And whether that's something entrepreneurial where I, I have a specific idea for what I want, or whether it's I have a bunch of ideas and I'm not sure what to pick, or it's the I kind of have some ideas of the future, but they feel like puzzle pieces and none of the connections are there. I've you know, been testing it and it's so far been going pretty well in helping people in kind of those categories kind of hone in on what they really want, give themselves permission to want something different from what they currently have, even if their life is good or even great, that it's okay to, you know, be both happy and want more. Um, and then, you know, once you see that and once you have a bit of clarity in what you want, trying to figure out that plan to make it happen. Uh, so ironically, my you know, what's next for me is um, going to be helping people figure out what's next for them. Since completing the Alt-MBA and saying goodbye to Athlion, the company that he created from his dorm room, Brent has started a new project called Next Act. Next Act is a month-long virtual workshop that helps people decide what's next for them. Find out more at decidewhatsnext.com. This episode is hosted and edited by me, Covington Doan. It is mixed by William Flato. We've already received some great feedback on this new format. If you have thoughts on how we can make this work better, please reach out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.